Yeah. So what is um, your last name? Where's that come from? Uh, my last name is Aiden, A-D-I-N. And it's from, I, I want to say it has Polish Jewish roots because I, my, my grandparents on my dad's side came from Poland um, and they're Jewish. They're not like Orthodox or anything like that, but I'm almost positive the name just got like chopped off. Like I don't yeah. think Aiden is the whole thing, but we'll never know. So I'm almost positive it comes from like Polish Jewish origin and honestly, I, I mean, we pronounce it Aiden because that's what's easy, um, but it's very, very possible that we're pronouncing it wrong, you know? <laughs> Doug, it's a, well, first of all, when did your parents come over then? Was it like after the war or what? Yeah. So, so my parents were born here in the States. My dad's dad was born in the great depression. He had eight other siblings raised by a single mom. And, um, and I'm pretty sure they had come over just after I want to say it was either just before or just after World War One, because my dad was born in 72. Um, so or 76, I think. So either way, some sometime around that, that period. So they came over. And it's crazy to think about like the history there, because I would have never been able to survive. There's no way. Dog. So um, yeah, so some, sometime around that period, I want to say like early to mid 1900s, I would imagine it was before World War II. Otherwise, it probably would have been very difficult for them to come over. So I'm, I'm assuming it was sometime before, maybe like around like 1920, maybe, you know, maybe 1924. You, so the 19, um, in 1929, the, Depre the Great Depression started. Uh, was he born in the Depression or just around about? I want to say, so he grew up during the Depression. So okay. I'm assuming he was born just before. So probably like, probably at the start of the 20s. I want I want to assume, I think he's, 92 now so oh. yeah 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 so he's older so um but yeah but he had eight other siblings so i would imagine that i mean i don't know if if all of them were born here but i would imagine most of them would have been because that would have been really tough to travel with but um yeah definitely definitely before world war ii so it had to have been like yeah probably around the 1920s maybe like mid 1920s yeah the 1920s and 30s um in Europe is no joke. If you look into, especially Poland. And then um, in the thirties is when obviously Hitler was rising and, and the Nazis were on the rise. And then 39 is when the war straight up broke out. So he might've, they might've just got yeah. out there in time before that hit, especially to be like in Poland period. But, uh, but a, a Jew in Poland is like, Holy smokes. They got they, the straight up ghettos. Like it was, it yeah. was, uh, um, I mean, history could have greatly changed. And um in terms of them, um, I love that, like reading about history, man, and like hearing about the stories and seeing documentaries and movies about it. Um, it's fascinating stuff. And I know what you mean where you're like, this is how we say the name, even though it's my last name, you're asking me and I'm a North American on how to say my last name. Same thing, man, lap it at. I might have been, we might all be saying it wrong. I have no idea. It's Romanian background. I've ran into Romanian people and they're like, do you know what your last name means? And I'm like, no, not a clue, dog. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. And they say my last name, like, fuck, is that how you say it? And um, yeah, I mean, and names change. I look at my, my grandpa came, what well, was Yugoslavia. Uh, so that's like, in, in Yugoslavia, they had like Romanians, Serbians, um, you know, the whole nine, right? Eastern Europeans. And um, he came from a village over there. When he came to Canada, his name was Artemius. Lapidat, wow. and, they were like, and, and they were like, and they were like, and that sounds like a fucking someone from Game of Thrones, right? And they were like, and they were, and they were like, um, the government's like, your name's Tom, 
and they wrote, <laughs> and they wrote Tom on his fucking card. Oh, that's so fucked. And then my uh, my his dad was name was like Michael Michael Lapidat, and they're like your name's Michael. <laughs> it was that was it. your name's Michael Lapidat. So it was like um, I don't know. It is what it is, man. Things get lost in history. And like my background is like Irish, Scottish, Romanian, and fucking God knows what. Europe has been run over so many times in Eastern Europe. Like everybody's gone through Eastern Europe and taken over, conquered. So who knows what I'm actually made up of? You know what I mean? It, it is what it is. But um, I was uh, I was looking up your open powerlifting. I was talking to. Um, I mean, I talked to a couple of people leading into this. We had picks and we knew you were good. I mean, you had an 830 before, 830 kilo total. and But you had only competed, was it like three times? Yeah, it was three times. That third meet was the 830. And it was, so you somewhat, I, I wasn't expecting this, put it that way. We were, you know, we knew you were going to be a contender, but you kind of were like, how you like me now out there when it came to the U.S. Fraud Nationals this year. And, um, and it was probably one of the best, if not the best battle we saw, you know, right up until the very last deadlift. And it was like a seesaw battle and it was like, had all the, all the dramatics of it. And it was like, it's, it's why people watch sports. Right. And, um, and it's beautiful when these things kind of happen because sometimes you don't see it coming. And I knew you'd be in the mix, but I didn't know because we didn't have like a history on you. So then it became one of those stories where like everybody's kind of doubling back and it's like, okay, let's find out Gavin's story here, how we found, because it's interesting to me, you've had three competitions or four competitions now, but you were like, dog, I was, you know, a fan of Kingless before I was powerlifting. Cause I was thinking like, maybe did you just get into powerlifting or whatnot, but you've been, so let's, let's double it back a minute. Um, when did you start? Like, how did you come up? You went to sports as you're coming up? Yeah. So, I mean, super, super quick. Like I, I have always been involved in sports. I always loved competing um, and growing up. So I was born in the Bronx and oh, shit, I was, son. yeah, when, when I was born, my parents were on welfare and food stamps. Like my dad was going through medical school. My mom was working two jobs. So, you know, we didn't have a lot back then. And so the only thing I could do was like play ball. So, you know, I would go out with my friends, we would play ball literally like right after school, come home late at night. And that was it. Um, and then around the time of middle school, the school I was zoned for was really bad. So like, metal detectors, bars on the windows, just wasn't going to be a safe place. And my parents just kind of like round up whatever money they had. They sent me to a grammar school in New Rochelle. And that's where I started playing football. So that gave me access to like, because like in the Bronx, there's all like green fields necessarily. You know what I mean? So there's no like real football teams. There's like wrestling, basketball's huge. There might, if you're lucky, you'll find hockey. So I got to go to grammar school, played football. Football got me into lifting because I was a running back. I was like, oh, I want to be the best, you know, like, like, like a lot of athletes, you know, you never really get into something and be competitive without wanting to be the best. So I remember asking my coach, like, all right, so how do I get faster? How do I get stronger? He's like, oh, you got to hit the weights. So I started doing uh, like Taibo classes, like my mom's like cassette taps, like, you know, fitness shit. And uh, long story short, like that, that stuck. I've been through a lot of sports. I've done everything from swimming to equestrian polo to football, as I said, rugby. And the only thing that stuck is the weightlifting. Um, and so once I got to college, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to play ball in college. I just, I, I, I don't think that I really have the talent for it or the height and all this other stuff. So I made all these kind of like little excuses in my head to just stick to, to lifting. And I, I kind of just like did my own thing for a little bit, but then I found Olympic weightlifting. So I did Olympic weightlifting for a solid year and a half to two years out of an academy in Westchester. Um, and I loved it. And I got to the point where I was ready to compete. 
Um, but then I transferred schools. When I transferred schools, they didn't have the equipment, so I couldn't do it. And then I kind of just went on my own for a little bit. I did uh, some mock meets and I loved it. And then eventually I was like, you know, I, I, and I've told this story before, but it's, it's probably like the biggest turning point for me getting started. I was leaving the gym. And as I'm sure you guys know, like the gym is, is almost like a second home to you. You know, it's, you're, you're there so much and you've invested so much of yourself into it, not just the people, but the weights themselves. So I was leaving the gym and the gym didn't feel like home. Like I was like, I was, I, I don't know how to describe, I felt so empty, you know, <clears throat> and, um, I'm getting in my car and I'm like, you know, I've been training for at that time, like seven or eight years. And I was like, what do I have to show for it? Like, I've got no medals, no trophies. Like when I go home and my parents see me at the gym for like three hours, like, so what happened? Like, what did you do? You know, it's like nothing. And that's when I looked at the records. That's when I saw Russell Orhe. That's when I saw, you know, guys like Joey Flex and at the time, John Hack and all these insane monsters, you know, in the, in the game. And I was like, dude, this is it. Like I can do this. I can get on that level if I just work hard. And, you know, and that, that kind of kicked things off. So my first meet was like six months after that in 2019, that was New Jersey States. And um, yeah. And I ended, I think I told like 1605 at that meet uh, I took first there by the skin of my teeth. And then that, that was it. That launched everything. When you, when you were coming up. So uh, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have three younger siblings. I have a younger sister and two younger brothers. Okay. And um, so, and you were saying, cause you're height, how tall are you? Five, five on a good day, <laughs> <laughs> brother. It is what it is. Ain't nobody tall in this game. Um, but, uh, so, so you were like a, sh a shorter kid, but you were always stock Like you were super stocky. Like, were you always a stocky kid? Yeah. I mean, I've always been like pretty thick boned. Um, but I always knew too, I was not going to be that tall. So like I had a growth spurt in fifth grade. And then after that, I was like, fuck, there's no way. Like I went to an endocrinologist to see if, I could get my hands on anything that would get me taller. So I think like HGH would do that or something like that. So this was in like sixth grade or seventh grade. And um, he was like, no, you're too young. Like come back to me when you're in high school. I come back in high school. He's like, sorry, your growth plates have fused. Nothing I can do for you. So <laughs> that happened. I was like, you know what? Well, I'm not going to be a short skinny kid. I got to be fucking, I got to be thick. You know what I mean? So that's when I kind of just fell in love with training. And then every day was just chasing that goal of getting stronger, bigger and stuff. So I've definitely always been a little bit stockier though, for sure. What, what, how would you describe you in high school? Ooh. Like, how would your friends describe you? In high school? <laughs> <laughs> That's a better question. <laughs> oh man. Um, probably, I mean, honestly, maybe like, uh, introverted, stoic, serious, like that. Really? I was a very, yeah, I was very to myself. Um, you know, I started dating my girlfriend in high school. So the weekends were spent with her. And uh, yeah, man, like I, I was, you know, I was in and out of sports, but every day I was training, you know, three, four hours a day. And like at that time, like it's crazy to think back because I could never do it now. I mean, I would go to the gym at one in the morning, like if I was bored, like I would just be like, ah, oh, you know, what, fuck it. I don't, you know, it's a Friday night. I got nothing to do. Let me just go to the gym. And that was my life, dude. So like, it's, it's weird. Like I, you know, I, I played in a band at one point. And so I had some smaller things come up, but I've always taken life pretty seriously, probably too seriously for my own good. And I think, you know, that's probably how a lot of my friends, you know, would remember me, especially during my high school days. Like I was always like, oh, but I got to prepare for the future. I got to do this. I got to start that, you know? So, so yeah, never like laid back. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Um, and did you drink and party or anything or were you like, no? Uh, honestly, man. So I didn't, I definitely didn't until like junior year of high school, junior year of high school, I went out a little bit. And then my senior year, like I honestly, I didn't party that much, but I think that was 
mainly because I had a girlfriend. So there was really no reason for me to go out or go out to the bars or whatever, because so my girlfriend lives in White Plains. So we were at totally different schools where I went to school. I went to Don Bosco prep. We're an all boys school. So like, you know, point is there was really no avenue, no way for me to kind of like, there was no interest. So, um, but that said, like after proms and stuff like that, like we had a good time and then freshman year of college, like I went out a bit, but it just like, dude, it's so weird. And I kind of regret this side a little bit looking back. I, I just was always so focused on like what's coming ahead. I never really appreciated the present, you know? Mm. And so I just, I would forego a lot of those opportunities to build relationships and go out and have fun because I was always thinking like, oh, but this is going to fuck up this one little pillar that I've set up. That's going to fuck up things 10, 10 years down the road, you know, which, which isn't the case. So yeah, I definitely didn't party a lot. I definitely didn't drink a lot, but I would say on average in college, I went out maybe like once every like two or three weeks, which is like nothing compared to that what is- most kids are going. Most, most <laughs> Don't. Are doing. You don't yeah. gotta tell me, Dougie. It's for sure. Um, <laughs> it is. It's crazy how like I've talked to a couple of lifters, and some of them like from a very early age were like super duper into like like disciplined. And like I talked to like Gustav Hedlund from Sweden. He's like, and I'm like, do you drink at all? He's like, no, no. I might, you know, maybe two drinks in the last five years. I'm like, holy shit. He's like, what do you do? He's like, oh, well, I lift weights. I monitor what I eat. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're like 23, dog. Like, what are we talking about here? But um, I don't know. In, in terms of uh, like powerlifting, we got all different types in terms of like introvert, extrovert, whatever. We got it all, man. But if you, did you, did you like it because it was more of an individual sport or is it just more, it's easier? Here's what I like. Look, I'm not an introvert dude. I fucking, I love talking and I can like, I I, I like doing like, I've, I've do motivation, motivational speeches with like a thousand people in the room. News okay. was there. Like that's what I've done it, you know? So I'm not that type. However, um, what I do enjoy is that I don't need to rally up 20 people or be on their schedule for a team schedule to train. I fucking train whenever I got to train. And I, it's like, I got control of that. So when people are like, when you chose this individual sport, why did you choose an individual sport? And I'm like, if you're hinting at, I don't like training with the team, it's like, it's not that it's more for myself. Anyways, was like the complete control of when I do, you know, and how I do it, the approach of, and the hands-on of, and like the more guiding your own destiny, taking all the brunt, all the blame, as well as all the glory, if it goes well in the whole nine, and it's your personal goals. Like there's something about that, that appealed to me but I'll fucking train with like 20 people in the room and have fun. Like, that's not that, you know, I, I why do you think that you fell in love with? What you I mean, lifting? that's a phenomenal question. And also too, like, I mean, I give you a lot of credit because I think a lot of people are, I don't want to say afraid, but might be reluctant to admit that about themselves. Like, you know, because think about it. If you say to yourself, like, well, I chose a team sport because I love the team atmosphere and you leave out the fact that maybe I wouldn't be willing to go do this on my own every day. That might show a different side of you, right? That you need to work on. So I give you a lot of credit because that's, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to, to enter into a sport or really any sort of challenge in your life that it is all on you, you know? Um, and so when you own up to it like that, that that's a big deal. So I, I definitely give you credit for that. And I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, you know, I honestly dude, like, I wasn't even thinking, um, I wasn't even thinking of the sport in terms of the sport. I was thinking of it as like, you know, I need, I want to leave a legacy. Like at the time I'm looking up to guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and I'm looking up to these, you know, Sylvester Stallone, you know, Franco Colombo, all these phenomenal guys that I think have impacted people in in many positive ways. 
And I'm thinking to myself like, well, what the fuck am I doing to do that? Because I've been telling myself for years that oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this, but I was never doing anything. And, and then I started to realize like, all right, well, if somebody came to me and said, you know, you should really do this. They're trying to inspire me. Right. But they never did it themselves. I would never listen. So that's when I made up my mind. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to tell people that they can be a champion, that they can, they can achieve anything they want in life. I need to go out and do that. Because then I can be the, I can literally be the evidence that they're capable of it. Right. And that's, that's what really got me into powerlifting because there was nothing else. So Olympic weightlifting was pretty much off the table. I still want to go to the Olympics for something. I'm not really sure what it's going to be yet. Um, but anything, anything in that realm, I'd love to dive into, but powerlifting just ended up being it because there was nothing else for me. Like I was, you know, I was looking at rugby, I was looking at other sports, but from a competitive standpoint, unless you're playing for schools and stuff, you know, what, what true avenues do you have? And powerlifting, dude, like I was, I was already lifting. I was already like kind of power building and I was already getting certifications and learning and training and all this other stuff. And I kind of fell in love with it because I guess to your point, you know, when it, when it is, when it, when it's an individual sport, it's not just like, you know, I have the discipline. It's more so like, do I have the drive um, that, do I have enough drive to push myself through all the adversity? Cause nobody can drag me through it. So even if I'm with a team atmosphere, even if you're in the weight room, right. And you're with 20 guys, you said you could still have fun and, and train. Those guys can't lift a weight for you. Right. Right. Yeah. In the sport of rugby, if you really do, if you don't fulfill your role, somebody could technically pick up that role for you. Right. If somebody's good enough, talented enough, hardworking enough in this sport, you can't fucking do that. So you either pick yourself up or nobody does. And, and I really appreciated that because, you know, especially at that point in my life, I was like, man, I'm nothing. I'm useless, you know? And, and, and I wanted to be worth something. And so that was, that was kind of my way in. I was like, you know what, let me choose something that forces me to look in the mirror every day and, uh, and challenge myself. So yeah, <laughs> long-winded answer, but yeah. no, well, first off, let me say something. Um, I, I, I like it. <laughs> I like you. You're well-spoken, man. Sometimes you never know if somebody's going to be a little short with the answers or they're well-spoken. I like it. Um, I got a couple Aaron, if you got follow-up questions, you feel free to jump in too, but I got a couple follow-up questions I want to ask. So, um, you were saying, it will, like, A, yeah, I totally understand where you could, your team can win, but you, if you're in a team sport, but you could have fucked up and be like, I played like shit, we won, and we move forward, but it's not because of me. And that's not a great feeling, right? Um, and on the flip side, there's also, you could just go all out, give everything you got, and some other people did it and, and made some blunders and you, and you lose. And you're like, that's another tough pill to swallow. Whereas there's something about when even when you're training with your team and you're training with 20 other guys, but they can't put the work in for you. If you're fucking the dog, if you're not really pushing yourself, yeah, you're there, but it's all going to be on you when you show up on the platform and that's when everybody's going to know. So you got the team there, but they can't bail you out. Like you said, and there's something exciting about that and challenging about that. And also very few times is it literally you get out what you put in. You're not assured that in life in so many cases, but with weightlifting, you start hitting these reps, you start hitting, you could see the progression. There's a number attached to these, this progression and you get out what you put in. That's yours. That's the promise you get with pump and iron. That's the, you don't get that in life. You don't get that guarantee, man. That's a beautiful contract. Once yeah. you find that as a kid for some kids like me and like you, it's like, holy shit, no other factors, no other team members, no nothing. I just grind. And as much as I grind, I get out. Well, let's see. Now I'm intrigued. Now I'm addicted. Now it's like, let's push this thing, you know? And um, in terms of 
this is what, what one of the things I want to follow up on because you had mentioned you you almost projected into the future like if I'm telling people, trying to motivate people like like this is what I did and this is what I achieved, you have to have done it. Correct. Proof is in the pudding. I don't want to hear you try to gas me up. What have you done? You know, and um, and avenues do come of it once you start winning titles and, and start becoming a name and you're well-spoken like yourself. Was that something that is a motivator for you when you were younger to be an inspiration to other people? Or is that something you're in, interested in now and being like a motivational speaker or doing that kind of thing? Like it's... Um, I mean... First of all, I'm already fired up. That that little <laughs> snippet right there, that could that could be the next commercial for like Nike or some shit. But uh <laughs> but uh to answer your question, honestly, man, from a very young age, I've always I don't know what it is. I mean, yes, I'm naturally very introverted and I think very deeply and I, I tend to be very to myself about a lot of things. But with that comes like there there's weight with that. There's a depth to that, right? And so as a result, like, you know, when I hear people tell me that like they're not happy. Or I hear people tell me like, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, but think about it. Like, why can't you fucking do it, right? Or like businesses fail. Why do businesses fail? I've, I've had businesses that fail more so than ones that have been successful. I know why they failed. They failed because I failed, right? And when you really look back, there's a reason. Nine times out of 10, I failed to execute on something. I wasn't prepared enough. I didn't know enough. I didn't hold myself accountable. So because of that, like growing up, I've always, always felt like, you know what, man, like I, I looked up to Arnold Schwarzenegger, as I said, I looked up to a lot of these guys that weren't perfect. They were far from perfect humans, but in the lights that I saw them, they inspired me. And so I wanted to do the same in return. Right. And a great example is Ashton Ruska, who is a phenomenal athlete. He is one of the only athletes, if, if not the only athlete who continues to blow my fucking mind and make me think that human potential just it's, it's limitless. And that's what pushes me to believe why the fuck can't I squat 805? Mm -hmm. Why can't I squat 900? Why is it not possible? This kid just did it. Right. And that's, and that's, that's something that I want to be able to produce for other people because it's rare. And it's something that it inspires people to push, to become more. I think our culture, it's so two-sided. It's almost like it's become cool to, to, to be average. I don't want to be fucking average. And it's no disrespect to people that are, but there's something amazing about trusting in your, in your potential and the greatness that you have and do, just going after it, just fucking doing it. So I've always been that way. I've always wanted to inspire and to lead. Um, but what I haven't always been is somebody of action where I would always tell myself like, oh yeah, I want to do that. Oh yeah, I'm going to be that. And I would, I would almost like have this like uh, this pretend face on like, yeah, yeah, you can do it. But then I would go home and be like, well, what am I doing? I'm just sitting on my ass. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I, I, I kind of developed this rule, this almost like law. I won't tell someone to go do something that I would not, would not be willing to do myself or haven't done myself already. And because of that, now it's kind of, that's when it kicked in. So, and that kicked in about, you know, three, four years ago. So it's a little bit twofold. Um, so when you were coming up and you were, you felt this way, what, well, well, I also, before I even go into this, I want to double back to you actually had mentioned, and this kind of struck me, you said, I wasn't shit and I wanted to be something. What do you mean? Did you, did you honestly feel like that? Did you felt like, like, why did you feel like that? Do you think? Uh, you know, it's a great question. I mean, I, I mean, I still feel like that. So I, you know, I, I'm hardwired in a weird way where, and I'm very, so fucking blessed, man, to have the siblings that I have and the family that I have. Um, half of me you know, feels this responsibility to people, to not just my family, but to a lot of other people where it's like, look, man, like, you know, 
you can fucking achieve anything you want in life. You can just go do it. But it's so much easier said than done, right? And so when I would reflect it on myself, it's like, well, there's so much that I want. And, and it's so easy to compare yourself to other people. And you look at what other people have and what other people are doing. You're like, well, why can't I do that? I'm trying, but I, I just can't get there. And that, that notion of what if I'm just not able to do it? That's what starts to stir up a lot of that negativity and that belief. And, and um, you know, for me, man, I mean, I, you know, I, wish, I wish I could put my finger on like one specific reason as to why I would feel like that. But I think when you, I wouldn't describe myself as, you know, like a high achiever or anything like that, but I, I definitely am a perfectionist to my own detriment. And I, I am very ambitious and I, I do have big goals. And when, when you have that, there's a benefit there because it drives you. It pushes you, right? Your foot's all the way on the gas. The problem is that you don't really know how to put your foot all the way on the brake either. And that can be really bad because what can happen? You can fucking crash, right? And so, and you'll have little snippets here along your journey where you're like, fuck dude, I, I didn't burn out. I literally hit a wall. And now I got to like take 10 steps, 10 steps back and repair myself before I get on the road again. And, and that's what it's like, you know? And so, and I see those, dude, it's, it's so common now in my life. Like I'll have, a week of just, wow, like great productive week. Awesome. Met some awesome people. And then I'll have three weeks of like, dude, what am I even doing? What, what has any, anything that I've done or said to anybody meant anything, you know, like, and so it's always a battle, you know? So to say where exactly that comes from, I think it's either part of kind of just like how I'm hardwired, or it could just be some sort of stuff that's been you know, like, like a lot of people de uh, develop over time. It's just due to society, man. Like you have all these standards and demands and these anxieties and fears, you know, and, and it's just a matter of navigating that, you know? It's, um, it's kind of what you said. It's kind of like the, the expression when they said, it's the reason you, you can talk yourself out of things and be your own worst enemy, not because who you're telling yourself you are, but because who you're telling yourself you are not. Mm. And for a lot of people, they say like, yeah, but I'm not like that. I'm not, I'm not, oh, I'm not like Gavin. I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not Gavin, but I'm not Ashton, but I'm not. It's like, stop fucking saying what you're not. You don't know. And, and here's, here's another thing. It takes a lot of work to get like, you know, as far as like any of you guys. Right. And for some people, they want the guarantee that they're going to end up here if they put in this crazy amount of work. But the beautiful thing of life is you can put in an insane amount of work and fail and then put in an insane amount of commitment and work and then fail again. And there's heartbreak and then an insane amount of work. And then you hit. And it's the reason, the reason why it has to be that way. Cause if everybody was guaranteed, you're going to be the next Gavin Aiden, Ashton Rouska, then why wouldn't you just start picking up the barbell and doing three hour days if you're guaranteed that. But the reason why it's beautiful is, a lot of people are going to fall short. You won't know until you pick up the barbell and go. And then you have to keep going at different ventures until you find your thing. But if it wasn't like that, it would be so, life would be easy. Of yeah. course. If someone just said, Gavin, don't waste your time on Olympic lifting. Gavin, don't waste your time on football. Gavin, don't waste your time on swimming. It's actually powerlifting. <laughs> you, you can't, man. You can't skip steps. You need this character built. Gavin, don't date this girl. You're going to get your heart broke. Dog, <laughs> that's not the way it is, man. That's not life, man. People want assurances. Before, before I commit to put in the work, I want to make sure I'm not going to get my heart broke and waste all this time and energy. Guess what, dog? That'll never happen. So it means you're never going to fully commit, which means you won't end up being like Gavin. So when you ask, like, why doesn't everybody do this? That's what it is. It's people don't want to waste their time. People don't want to get embarrassed, get their heart broke, get let down. Well, that's life though. 
That's life though. That's what Joe Rogan's like. I, you recognize it's the struggle that builds your character and you need it. Yeah. Not until later in life sometimes you realize, I get it now. Because if everybody just fucking look at you, get to eat as much food as you want as long as you put in this crazy day's work. No, sometimes you're going to put in a crazy day's work and fucking be hungry. You go to sleep hungry, man. That's yeah. just the way you're not going to be guaranteed. That's uh, what makes it different, right? Yeah, the true treasure isn't the outcome. The true treasure is the journey, man. I mean, that's that's time and time again. The struggle makes you stronger. It's That's that's just the name of the game, you know? So 100%, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think if you always remember too, like kind of, going back on what you asked, you know, when you remember that you're, you always aren't shit, like you're always worth nothing. That's humbling, man. Like you realize like at the end of the day, we all go down in the dirt and whatever you believe, I respect it. But beyond that, unfortunately, you have to leave something behind, right? And how do people remember you? What relationships did you build, right? The legacy. And, and that's where it becomes special. And, and that's why too, like, you know, again, I don't know, at the end of the day, like I, I, I have so much love for the sport, but I also have to remind myself, like, especially when it comes to something like powerlifting, they are just inanimate objects. You know, we are just lifting weights. At the same time I'm competing on the platform, somebody, somebody's mom just died of cancer, right? Somebody's on the front lines getting shot at so that I can do this, right? So the whole premise behind it is this balance. You need this balance, right? And I agree, man. Like, I think that when it comes to chasing success, hunting it, man, like defeats the whole purpose of faith, bro. If, if you had the evidence, if I told you when you were going to receive and like, what the fuck was the point in the first place? You know, it's, exactly. it's like in the Incredibles, you know, like if everybody's super, then no one will be right. And so, and I, I truly believe that. And that that's why, again, like I know a lot of the culture and the, and the society that we live in now is soft. Um, and so this might, this might rustle some feathers, but I really do believe like, fuck average, bro. Like, don't be mediocre. Like there has to be an average, right? There is a baseline, whether we like, whether we like it or not. So you, but the, the cool part is you get a choice. You get to choose whether or not you rise above that. You don't, nobody's keeping you there. You can fucking build, you can go beyond and how far you go is completely up to you completely, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it. And what's even more special is you can then turn around and help other people go above. That's where the real success is. And, and that, that's what I've always like really, really chased, right. Which is me being able to turn around and be like, look, man, I'm, I really haven't come that far, but I'm a little bit further than you. So let me help you get further than me, you know? And, and that's, that's what I've been really trying to focus on there's there's for sure something we said about like like the word faith a lot of people attribute it just to a religious thing which it can be but it's not just like here's i saw a good quote where it's you know faith is not knowing the destination for sure but you're fucking you so you you're but you just have that inner belief it's like a belief system where it's like if you if you have to see it before you leave the shoreline if you have to see the other side before you leave the shoreline that's not how life is. And you're never going to fucking make, you're not going to get that guarantee. You're waiting for that. You got to cast off, leave the fucking shoreline and just have faith. You're going in the right direction. Yeah. And whatever happens, happens, man. If you're yeah, waiting man. for that, here's another one. If I'm, I'm just South of Toronto, if I'm driving down to Florida to see my boy Arian and it's <laughs> nighttime the entire time. And all I have is my high beams on that sees like 50 or a hundred feet ahead. You just take it a hundred feet at a fucking time and have faith you're going to end up in Florida, but yeah. take it a hundred feet at a time. So you take it day by day and keep grinding, keep grinding. And that's how you work towards your goals. Uh, I think it is, it is like, um, it's, it's probably fear-based that people don't take those leaps, man. Like a leap of faith again, not even in the religious sense. Yeah. Fear-based also just, you gotta, 
this has helped me a lot. You have to refuse failure. Like you have to refuse to not achieve it. it. It literally has to be a rejection, not even an option. It's off the table. As soon as you commit, you have one option at one point in time or two options at one point in time. Before you commit, you have two options. Either you're going to commit or you're not. But then once you commit, that's it. The other option gets knocked off the table. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It does not fucking matter. People think that's harsh, but it's true. And that's the only way. If it means that much to you, you knock it the fuck off the table. And then boom, that's it. You have no choice but to commit. No matter what the fuck happens, you're going to get there. That's how guys like C.T. Fletcher have lived this fucking long. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, that, it's that incredible will of iron that's going to push you through. That can only be there so long as doubt and hesitation isn't. The only mm. way to erase that is to refuse. You, dude, you have to refuse. Like I have numbers on my on my board, my whiteboard. For the last year, I had, it was 749, 523, 771, squat bench deadlift. That's what my, and on it says worlds. That's what it was a year and a half ago, right? I was going into nationals and this was like within, this was at the time of the August meet. So I had the 830 total and I'm going in and like, you know, and I, I would tell my coach, of course, my numbers and, <clears throat> and I'm confident he would believe in me. But even then I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, I'm going to fucking crush this. Like, we're going to get this. I know that it's another 200 pounds. Fuck it. We're going for that 2K. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And every time I train every rep, it could be 315 on the bar. When I squat, it could be 722. I'm imagining myself on the platform and it's going to fucking happen. I refuse bleeding, sweating, crying does not matter. When you commit like that, you have no fucking choice, dude. And honestly, man, like, yeah, I fell short. I fell short drastically. But at the end of the day, like I, I, I can still look back and say, you know what? We're heading in the right direction. That's all that matters. Let's stay committed. And I think if people just have that commitment, it's similar to the analogy you just gave before. And I, I've said this and I love this because this is actually a quote on my wall uh, in my basement. Um, if you're going to take the island, burn your fucking ships. Mm. That means that if you're going to take the island, if you're going to attack, don't give yourself a plan B. There's no retreat. You're going to go all fucking in because it's a different animal. Your mind, you, you re-hardwire yourself to be a different type of beast, you know, when you're attacking something like that, when you have no plan B like that. Yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. I was going to say, I mean, you're, you're still committed to, you. like you said, you, you got worlds coming up and we'll talk about that some more and you got those numbers. So you still got your, your time to get to that goal. But the other thing I was thinking, Ryan, like similar, um, uh, kind of thing is same thing with the driving thing is like you kind of have faith that if you you know see a green light that the car is coming the other way those people are going to stop you have like faith in humans that they're going to follow the directions and stop because it made me think like i have some people that uh, contact me for coaching and the way they ask questions and the things they want to know is kind of like well if i give you x amount of money will i make x amount of progress on my on my total like they want to know the result like if i'm paying you 200 can you guarantee me 200 pounds on my total and it's like it doesn't work that way like, like you said, sometimes a training cycle might work and you get big gains. Sometimes training cycle doesn't work and, and you don't get gains and you have to come back and do it again. And it depends on how much effort the person puts into it on their own and everything like that. So some people just want that result and be like, okay, I'm willing to pay this amount of money for those guaranteed results. But that's not how powerlifting works. That's not how life works. Uh, but I wanted to go back as well, Gavin, when you when you got into things, as you said, you, were, you want to like make a name for yourself. You have these big goals. Were you thinking about that when you sign up for a competition? Like, hey, I want to be a world champion one day. And why did you choose USAPL? Uh, that's a phenomenal question. Um, first and foremost, like real quick before even diving into that, like anybody who's listening, like re-listen to what, what was just said, because that is freaking huge. Like, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I've only had two in my time. Do you want believe in me 
and I want my coach um, to perform his best for me, for my best interest, right? And that's it. That's all I care about. Otherwise, he can do whatever he wants. And so you got to trust and you got to deliver. And if, as long as you execute, everything will work out. Um, that said, yeah, so I, uh, I, I set my sights on a world championship like before I had even ever gotten my first coach, before I signed up for New Jersey States, before any of it, because I wanted to be the best. And I was like, well, what's the best? You know, and, and to me, it was like, well, it's Worlds. You know, Worlds is the Olympic equivalent. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to fucking Worlds and I'm going to win. And, and that was it. And at the time, I was in the 83, like, weight class, so to speak. So that's when I was looking at Russ and all those guys. And uh, that's what inspired me the most. And, um, and of course, like, that inspired me to work with Flex um, initially in my powerlifting career. And, yeah, I mean, and that's that was always on my mind. And at, I honestly, like, if I really think back, I don't think there's a single day that's gone by since I started powerlifting where I didn't think about a world stage, like envisioning it, you know? Um, and I chose the USAPL. I have uh, three to four main reasons. I mean, the first is the world championship. You know, I genuinely, genuinely want to represent America. I love my country um, <clears throat> and I want the opportunity to do that. So worlds is the best bet. It's also, from my understanding, the most competitive world stage, you know, like the most respected, I guess. Um, and this is no disrespect to any federation. I just, honestly, I just don't know much about any of the others. But I would say that Worlds is internationally wise, has like the most reputable world championship. Um, the other thing was the same bar for each lift. So I don't, you know, I'm not really like, I don't really care too much about like deadlift bar, squat bar stuff. But for me, I got into powerlifting because I wanted to be strong. I wanted to prove to myself I was strong. And I wanted to prove to myself like, okay, if I can do it with it with on squat with this bar, why can't I deadlift with this bar, right? I don't need, and again, this is just, this was just my take on it years ago and I just haven't changed where it's like, you know, I don't want to switch equipment to make things easier for me on any other lift. I want it to be the same standard across the board and that was it. Um, and that logic may be completely flawed, but yeah, that that's just the, was the honest reason there. And then, um, and the last thing was drug tested, you know, it, it was probably the, and so, I mean, You're breaking up a little bit there, Gavin. I think it might be because um, if you're moving, I think the movement makes you your camera buffer or something like that. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. I talk with my hands like I'm all fucking myself, man. Don't worry. Um, I'm too Italian, bro. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's right. I think I probably got some Italian in me, man. But um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so talking about when you first started and you started as an 83. So before that, did you already have like, like, how did you learn how to squat properly? Because you didn't just start squatting or whatnot. You were already, how did you learn your technique? What kind of programming did you have initially? And then once you got into powerlifting, was it like, holy shit, I was, I was doing this all wrong or I was pretty bang on with where I was heading to? Uh, yeah. So before I started officially powerlifting, um, I had worked. The only official education I received was at an Olympic weightlifting academy. Um, and that one, I mean, Olympic weightlifters squat totally differently than powerlifters do yeah. and for good reason, but, um, yeah, so that's where I built a lot of my mobility. I built a lot of my, just like consciousness of my body, you know, awareness of where my body was, where my muscle was, what was moving, what wasn't, what needed to stay engaged and what didn't. And, and then after, cause I had done like was really ew, oh my god so i like i watch those videos i'm like dude i could have gotten so hurt but um so after that um when i first started powerlifting and got a coach 
Um, that's when low bar was first introduced. I had never done low bar before and it hurt like hell when I was probably doing it wrong, but I was literally just, I was like, all right, well, I guess this is how I do it. And I would, you know, go on YouTube, try and watch Ed Cohen squat. Um, I would watch basically what my, always, my, my thing has always been like, who's the best at this one thing right now and what do they do? And that's exactly how I learn. I go to them and study them. I, I still do the same thing today. So the way my squat has, has evolved over the last two years, um, two people or two things in particular, one was an injury. So I competed in 2019 nationals with a pretty bad injury and I had to change my squat form as a result of it. Um, and kind of taught me like, don't ever be afraid to just adapt and overcome. And then I worked with, to kind of help me fix some of my positioning stuff. I worked with Bradley Couillard for a little bit, who's uh, a phenomenal coach and obviously has, uh, you know, multiple world champions under his belt and just awesome guy all around. I worked with him while I was working with Alex. He kind of handled my form stuff. Um, he helped me correct a few things. And then most recently I watched Ashton squat. Um, I watched him take, this was like a week or two, maybe week, yeah, maybe about two weeks before nationals. I watched him squat like 820 something. And I noticed something and I was like, hold on a second. This dude doesn't just squat. He, he makes the weight his bitch. Like he controls the weight so much that it's not going anywhere unless he lets it go somewhere. Right. And so the, really the key figure for me was not only did he control it to like that quarter squat position, it's to depth. He controls it in the hole. It's so hard to explain, but if you watch, you'll see what I'm saying. Then he comes out and everything's smooth and clean. And I was like, that's my fucking problem. I don't control the weight like that. And all it was a matter was all of all it was a matter of was engaging my hamstrings and my glutes in a different way, just really actually using them and controlling that bar all the way into the hole and then all the way out. So uh, my bench press, I study Keiko and Borker. That's who I study right now. And I, that's who I studied leading into nationals. Um, my pull, I mean, there's so many guys, unfortunately with my pull, like I'm one of the shorter guys that pulls sumo. There's not too many guys with arms like mine who pull. So it's hard to find people. Um, but I try to watch people who have very efficient techniques. So Chance Mitchell, Angelo Fortino, you know, all those guys. Um, and yeah, and I just try and pick up little things, man, little cues. Like, what are they, what are they doing? Why is Chance, you know, driving his knees forward over the bar? You know, why th things like that. And then I just kind of keep adapting and, and changing and evolving. And that, that's how I usually kind of like study and learn and, and kind of evolve the form of everything. And, and how did you find Alex as a coach? How did you end up running into him? Um, really interesting question. So I, um, at the time I needed a coach and I, so it was right. It was a little bit after my, my nationals experience. I just could not take care of this injury on my own. It was like really painful. And I was like, I need somebody who understands this, who can do this, who can help me. And a really close friend of mine, her name is Sarah. She at the time was coached by Alex. She had been coached by him for a really long time. And at the time Alex was with hybrid and, um, and he was like the hype man. Like he was really awesome dude. I had met him once at the Arnold and I, I really, I still look up to him, but I, I had really looked up to him because he was not just a really good business owner, but he was a really good guy. Like a lot of, he had an awesome story, um, overcame some really crazy drug addiction stuff and totally flipped his life around and, and has helped other people do the same. So I, I just admire stuff like that. So Sarah led me on to him. I got in touch with him. You know, I remember sitting in, I was, it was during finals week and I was like, fuck my finals. I'm talking to Alex, you saw right now about powerlifting. And uh, yeah, so I was just messaging him back and forth. He really helped me out. And the rest was history. I was like, it was kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Like, it was just two things, man. I want you 
to wholeheartedly believe in me. When I tell you I'm going to be world champion, I don't need any, oh, well, you know, realistically, but I don't need any of that bullshit. You, yeah. you say, yes, sir, I got you. You know what I mean? And, and I want that because I don't, I'm going to doubt myself enough. So if I have a coach who's going to doubt me as well, bad recipe. So that was number one. And number two, a coach that was willing to work to find the best strategy. I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to be an expert. Nobody is. I just need you to be willing to say, you know what? We messed up a little bit here. Let me put in some work. Let me look back, see what we can change. That's all I need. And he was willing to do that. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we got linked up. I was going to say, it's kind of a good fit too. As far as like you said, the, the business owning stuff is like, he's uh, opening up his own gym. He's got his coaching. He's got his own apparel line. Uh, he's runs his own meets and everything like that. So it seems kind of like a good fit there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. It's true though. Also with a coach that um, some people feel as though they got to know everything ahead of time when it's like, we, you are going to develop and grow together quite a bit as a coach and an athlete especially with what works for you, what doesn't work for you and making adjustments. Like they aren't going to know right off the bat when you just walk in the door, like it's, we're going to have to try new things sometimes or what is working, what's not working and you're going to develop, you know? And it's sometimes it's like, all right, I'm not going to have the answer off the top of my head right off the bat. Let me investigate this. Let me look at some videos. Let me see. Let me, let me take a look back at the last six weeks of programming and why this would have happened. You know what I mean? Where some people like, again, it goes back to like, I need an answer right now. I need, you know, it's like, this isn't, it's never, life isn't like that, man. It's going to take some investigating. You yeah. know, if you, if you think a coach is just going to know off the top of their head every time, it's really not the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. You also have to find somebody that fits you, man. Like, you know, I, for me personally, I knew I needed a coach who was going to nail the programming. I'll take care of everything else, form, everything else I'll take care of. But programming, if I'm going to give 110% and be willing to train five hours a day, I need to know that what I'm doing is going to be worth it. So that's that's all I gave a shit about. Other athletes might need somebody who can manage injuries better or who can manage your, your work life. You've got kids, you've got all this other shit. You know, so finding, doing your research, finding a coach that is going to best suit your needs as an athlete, that's your best bet. A coach is very rarely going to be amazing at all of them. And, you, mm. and like, you don't want them to be either. You want them to really specialize. Like, I'd rather have a sniper on my team than a guy who can kind of do everything five out of 10, you know? Yeah. And so, so, and honestly, especially if you're, if you're going to take somebody into, you know, world championship stage, like I, I genuinely need somebody who specializes. And so now it's a little bit more expensive, but you know, now I just hired a nutrition coach. So that's the next step, you know, and I recognize like, you've got to scale, you've got to expand a little bit and be willing to, to make the investment if you want to grow. And so um, I highly recommend people do like, because I've had people reach out to me for coaching. I've had people rec ask me who I recommend for coaching. And, um, and there's a phenomenal, I mean, the industry is growing fast, but there are so many great coaches, dude. There's so many phenomenal coaches with so much experience and everybody's going to be different. So, you know, you take your time, you, you like reach out to them, like have a conversation, you know, like really get on the phone with them. If they don't get on the phone with you, then fuck it, you know, <laughs> but you, you really got to seriously, because it's a big deal. You know, you're going to make a big investment. I spent 40% of my life in the gym minimum. Mm. So I want, it, it's a ride or die situation. You know, it's like, if you're doing it for casual, that's totally fine. Go with whoever you want and worst comes worst, you switch. But if you have big dreams, you're ambitious, like LeBron James, isn't going to take any coach. He wants the best, right? any athlete, you know, Christian Ronaldo, like he, these are guys, the best athletes in the world, arguably. Right. And yet they still have coaches. They still have trainers. They have, they still have nutritionists. Right. So it shows that you need a coach. You need some guidance, right. Who you choose. That's the next layer. You got to do your research. It's like you said, you got to investigate. So. And a lot of people to an extent, um, 
Well, first off, yeah, yeah, you look at Taylor Atwood, he's got a fucking team around him. Yeah. And he's and the and these like your coach, if they're humble, also understand like I don't need to try to do it all because I'm just gonna do a shitty job on a couple things. And or like the strength guys um will go out there and be like, We'll get someone who's an expert in nutrition. We'll get someone who's, you know, if you if you need RMT insight or some injury prevention or after they wrote Taylor's program and they went, they go all out for Taylor. They freaking send it to a guy with two PDHDs on load management. Like review my work, please. You know, I don't want to make sure we have this, like this, this guy's got to be ready to go. So they're like, that's humbleness where it's not like, it's not insecurity because Jason Trombley, who's um, Taylor's coach is not insecure about coaching. If anyone wanted, he openly said, he's like, you know, if anyone ever wanted to come on the podcast, we have a friendly discussion or debate. I'd be getting game to debate anybody for programming or whatever. Like, all right, I don't know if we're going to be doing that, but like, (laughs) he's not shy or he's not unconfident, but at the same time, he's confident, but not arrogant. So he's confident because he fucking knows, like, look at if someone doesn't think I'm, I'm the goods, I can debate why I feel this way. And, um, and he knows, like he knows he's proof is in the pudding, but also that's confidence, but then not arrogant where he's like saying he knows shit that he doesn't because he's too fucking cocky to admit he doesn't. He thinks it makes him look small. So he can't be honest, put other people down because that's arrogance where he's like, no, no, I am very confident. I wrote this program, et cetera. Now let me have peer reviewed work and let me go to a guy with two PDHDs because I'm confident, but I also want the best out of it. That doesn't mean you're unconfident. You know what I mean? It just means like if you're arrogant, you won't actually accept help when you might be able to use it. And I think there's people think that's weak for some reason. It's like, that's nah, weak if you don't. Whether you're an athlete and you're like, I got a program only for myself and I don't ask no one else because I need all of the glory and all the whatever. All right. That's, you know, you, it, you, it might be arrogant. You know what I mean? It's not always, yeah. but. It's not weak when Taylor's the strongest. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well exactly. Exactly. We, and, we, got, uh, we, we got the clip we wanted. <laughs> there it is, man. That's that's the one style bike. Um, so going going into these nationals, how confident were you? Like this is the you you made a 50 kilo spread and ended up pushing the returning champion right to the brink, and it was a sensational battle. Did you know this was gonna happen like this? Like, what were your expectations? So, um, I, I'm a visionary. I, I really, I really try to, you know, I've got a vision board. I've got stuff on my whiteboard. I really try and envision a lot of my success and, and try and almost like, I hate to use the word manifest cause it's so like corny, but that's how I think of it. And, um, I leading up to this meet, I was like, dude, I have never given so much of myself before. Like I have not missed, I've done, forget about not missing accessories. I've done extra. You know, I've bled extra. I've cried extra. Like I can't give any more than I have. And I was extremely confident that, you know, I was going to, I honestly, I mean, obviously I was gunning to win. I was extremely confident that I was going to do well in the sense that I'm going to execute period. I'm covering all my bases. Of course, there's a little bit of, you know, fear and anxiety in the sense of like, oh, but what if this, what if that? And then like, for me, for some reason around like the six week mark, I start to think like, what if I get injured? Like, that's usually like a thing It's like, oh man, what if I, you know, this comes up, whatever. But again, it goes back to, so what? You got injured. You refused to fail. You burned your ships. Oh, well, you got to go for it, right? So I always fall back on that stuff. So that's what helps me keep my confidence up. But you know what also helps me level my head and what helped me kind of go into this meet just hungry, but respectfully hungry. I genuinely, genuinely love just sharing the platform with, these were guys I look up to, dude. Like, you know, all of them, like they were all phenomenal athletes who I totally respect 
And I'm a little bit different in like the warm up room and stuff. Like I'm, I don't have my headphones on. I'm like smiling. Like I, I want to see these guys do well. I genuinely want to see these guys out total, you know, hit PRs. I want to see everybody do well. And so that balances me out. You know, I was very confident um, going in and, and I felt really good. I felt really strong, um, you know, and it just was having faith, dude. You know, like I, I mean, I am Christian. So I, it's, it's kind of like having faith in my work, also having faith in God. And, and if it's meant to be like, if this is part of the plan, this is part of the motherfucking plan, you know, and, and I'm going to go with it. So, um, so yeah. And, and it was, it was definitely a balance. I was definitely confident, but in the sense of kind of like a, 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 a like you got a horse and you kind of have the reins pulled back just a little bit, you know? First off, I love the fact that in the same sentence, you said, I am Christian. You go, part of the motherfucking plan. I'm like, this is a new, this is a new era, man. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me. I I got some, I am a sinner as well. God bless. But um, no, I I feel you. And and it is, um, here's another thing. When you 100% commit, this is when you show if, you, if you're made a championship material. When you 100% commit all out, if you don't win, do you fucking pack your bags and fold because you, ha- you think you deserve it? Because that's not, there's no such thing as deserve. You get in what you put out. You're 100%. You got what you deserved was like a fucking fantastic and it is what it is you build on that and you keep going forward without ever losing enthusiasm. That's how winning is done. But if you need to be guaranteed the winner, you quit a fucking gave hundred percent. Like that's part of the same drive that like you were talking about earlier where um, we just, if we take it a step further along the storyline is like winners, historically speaking, don't win the first time they step up into the nationals, the world or the NBA finals. Like if you watch the last dance of Michael Jordan, they repeatedly lost and then they started winning. But if you're the guy or girl, that's like, not only do I need to be guaranteed to win ahead of time. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. There's no guarantees. You talked me into it. So I'll commit 100%. You talked me into it. I'm not going to be guaranteed the outcome, but you talked me into giving hundred percent effort. So I give hundred percent, 120% and I didn't win. So fuck that. I'm not doing that again. It's like, well, whose story are you talking about that you think that the first go round? That's n- yeah. no, that's yeah, that's that's bullshit. And honestly, like you got to recognize there's first of all, there's two things to that one. You got to think long term. All right. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not like a lot of guys. I don't want to do this till I die. Like I want to compete till I'm like 28, 29 and then focus on other things. But you know, I have, I have a vision of, of worlds and, you know, like my last nationals, I had the same vision, but I did not put in the work that I fucking put in for that. That's straight up. I missed an accessory here and there. I missed a couple of lifts. And then beyond that, like, you know, I placed six in the juniors. I was like maybe 20th overall, if I was lucky. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh man, but I just, the, the vision was always worlds. Funny thing was that two weeks later, I got an invite for bench only for worlds for the juniors. And I remember thinking to myself like, okay, I did not earn, I did not earn the top and I don't deserve the top, but it's funny how the vision works because I still somehow chip something with the world stage. And that's what convinced me. Like you put in the fucking work, just put in the work and let everything else work out. Trust in the process. Everything else will work out. Don't worry about all that shit. And that's what it's like an internal locus of control. And that's what, that's what drives it. So it dude, like, you know, you look at the greats, you look at whether we talk about Ed Cohen or we talk about Kobe Bryant, they all have one thing in common. It's grit. It's a willingness to persevere regardless of what the the circumstances are. It doesn't fucking matter if it's raining outside, if it's cold, if you're tired, if you're hungry, if you got a lot shit going on, if it matters enough to you, you're going to find a way. And that's it, man. And you got to have faith in that. So, 
Yeah. I mean, I was obviously, look, I was disappointed, but at the same time, I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, but this is on me. You know, like this was fucking on me. Like I, I, this, that's a beautiful part about powerlifting. You just weren't strong enough, Gav. Like, that's it. I just was not strong enough at the end of the day. Like my, I'm to put it in like an actual metric. My last deadlift was hard. That was RP 10. I could not have gone up another two and a half kilos. People can say with it, what it looked like. I'm telling you, it was not going to happen. <laughs> Keiko was different. Keiko probably had another 20 pounds in him. Like it looked good, you know? And yeah, I can make some arguments on my squad or whatever, but like, that's all hindsight. Of course, I'm going to be able to say that stuff, you know, but if it really came down to it, Keiko, I definitely think he had at least another 10 pounds on his deadlift. So did I really come that close? You know, in my head, I'm thinking, was I really that strong? No, I wasn't. And also let's keep in mind, if Keiko had the most phenomenal day of his life, he would have had a 900 plus kg total. And where would that have put me? Right. So I'm weak and that's the reality. And so it has nothing to do with placing or any of this. It really has to do with the bigger ambition, the bigger goal. Being one of the greatest of all time requires adversity. And I welcome that. You know, I want to lose because it gives me an opportunity to overcome. Nobody likes the hero story where they had no challenges. They want the hero that fought the dragon, right? They want the hero that had to overcome. That's the beauty of it. The downside is you actually have to fight the dragon. But if you fight and you win, it's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, it's true, dog. There's no story worse than um, I tried really hard and I won. I tried really hard again and I won again. And guess what the <laughs> sequel? Guess what the third movie is? I tried really hard and I got it again. Like, that's the worst movie I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> like that's not a movie, dog. Um, yeah, you're, it also underlines like the beauty of sports where sometimes when you show up and you're crunching numbers, and you're like, if this person's at their best or if this happens, like I can't win. And it's like, someone came on the podcast now I it's totally lost the time who had said it originally but they're like but that's why we don't give the Yankees the World Series every year right because it's not what's on paper you have to play ball and that's not how sports goes you show up and it's the Rocky story all over any given day anybody can win so you got to piece together the best you got right there sometimes you weren't even at 100% but you're 92% is good enough to take it home. Just fucking stay in a pocket and keep it moving. You know, you got to show up for these things. Um, So on the day of, are you paying attention to what's going on? Like in a squad event, when you're warming up, are you watching what Keiko's doing? You watching what Connor's doing? Or are you just doing your own thing? No, man, I do my own thing. I'm going to be honest. Like that, that me was the fastest fucking thing I've ever experienced (laughs) in my life. I, I was like, holy shit. But the... For me, dude, I didn't even really notice that I was lifting. Like it didn't hit me until deadlifts. Um, Cause everything was just like, dude, I mean, I went from like finishing my water cut in the morning to cutting my finger, bandaging that shit up and then just warm ups, and then worrying about my finger. Cause I kept getting yelled at and then squatting, benching. And then that was it. And then finally by deadlifts things slowed down a little bit. I was like, oh shit, we're here at nationals. Let's go. <laughs> and um, yeah, honestly, man, like I don't, I'm not really one to like headhunt, you know, I'm not like looking around and like, oh, you know, fuck this person. But it's really not me, man. Like this is powerlifting, bro. We lift weights. And at the end of the day, and this is what I love about it. You're either strong or you're not. And that's what I respect about the sport. There's a standard. And I want everybody to do their best because it means that if I win, I beat somebody at their best, which is a phenomenal feat. It's not a phenomenal feat if everybody else was kind of like, eh, or, you know, didn't perform the best, whatever. Like, what can I even say about that? You know, and vice versa, you know, so for me, no, dude. I mean, there were a couple of times when I, I you know, I, I went up to Chance. I was, I congratulated him on like one or two lifts. Um, Bob Matthews, same thing. He had some awesome lifts that I saw. Um, Keiko, obviously, at the end, I, you know, I would talk to him, and 
I just wanted him to know, man, like, because I know, like, you know, I don't want any, I don't want the message to get convoluted or twisted. I have so much love and respect for my competitors specifically, especially Keiko guys that I legitimately have looked up to for years, way before I even thought about powerlifting that, um, you know, it, it's, it's not even, it, it's not even in question. Like after the meet, I was very happy for him. Like I know a lot of people, like, I guess maybe it's the cool thing to be like, oh, well, fuck that. You know, like I lost, you know, whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. The guy deserved it. The guy, the guy won, you know what I mean? And he had a reason for winning and he had to fight. Like that's, I saw the dude cramping in between his poles. Like the dude couldn't walk to a fucking chair. I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So for him to pull that last pull, I'm like, dude, this is what this is about. Like, <laughs> fuck yeah. You know? And, and so um, I was very proud of him, man. I was very happy for him. And, uh, and I'm very, I'm excited to see what he does at Worlds, you know, for sure. So, so yeah. So all in all, no, there was definitely, I'm not really the type to like, you know, have any animosity on me day or, you know, mm -hmm. like go around, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll get in a zone here and there, but yeah. Going into uh, now, since you're mentioning Worlds and you're talking about your competitors, have you looked at the nominations at all to see who your competitors are for the World Championships? No, not at all. Um, I don't even know where I'd go to look, to be honest, but I, um, I'm i going to be straight. Like, I, I'm not one. I know a lot of people play the game in powerlifting. Obviously, I learned this the hard way a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people take the rules in the game extremely seriously, and it's how they play. Totally respect that. Um, for me, man, I don't focus on my competitors. I focus on myself, what I have to do to perform. And I know that any energy I spend on looking at that stuff, isn't gonna, that's energy taken away from myself and, you know, and, and yeah, so I honestly, like I said, I wouldn't even know where to look, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, on meet day, you know, like I'll probably maybe like try and figure out, okay, where, what do I need to do to, to win and whatnot. But, um, yeah, my number one goal is just to be as strong as I can. You know, I want to hit obviously over 2k total and, my number one goal for worlds right now is to not only total something that would win juniors, but that would have also won the open. So that's what I'm focused on. Yeah. And that's what some people uh, fail to recognize if they go on the junior team and like, ah, shit, I missed. I wanted the goal of the open. It's like, you're at the world championships, international judges. If you're a junior and you out total people in the open, don't think it doesn't get recognized. That's like, boom, a star is born. Like there, that has happened before. Everybody knows about it and it's huge. Like it's a, and it is international officiating and you're at the world championships, the exact same competition. So it's, yeah, it's not the same as being in the open, but it is a huge caveat and a huge goal to have. Like you're still there. Um, I was good. So let's talk about the, the drama from the last two weeks. Holy shit, my dude. Uh, talk about like, um, I, I was, so I didn't, I didn't hear the, the, like I, we, we do podcasts constantly, man. And right after nationals, I did, we did like a fuckload of podcasts. All right. So the last thing I was going to do is listen to a podcast, uh, a powerlifting podcast. Um, but, but it was more like the headline, but there was obviously a little bit of drama in terms of the squat, a squat was being talked about being overturned. And then, um, you were on a podcast, maybe you, you could, you could say, you know, because we had Joey on here at the last podcast and he said, we're good. There, there's just no issues now. We're fine. We're moving forward. But at the time, there was a, there was some kind of weird animosity. Maybe some things where Joey thought maybe might have been just misconstrued or taken sideways where it wasn't actually as bad as people thought. Or what, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, so the whole thing got like super blown out of proportion. Um, but also, by the way, that was intentional. Like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I, you know, two white lights and I, or Angelo and I, like we specifically knew that it was going to stir up. Um, like we wanted, we wanted it as like a marketing thing. Like I was trying to think a little bit more long-term and I was like, you know what, I'm going to be honest. Nobody gives a shit about me. And why should they? I'm nobody still. 
Um, but that said, I wanted to, I, this was my opinion. And, and when I said it, I knew it was going to be a hot take. So it's like, all right, let's take advantage of this. Like I, it's still my opinion. It's still authentic, but I know that this is going to stir up some shit because nobody talks about it. So we decided to take, I didn't know he was going to take that exact quote. Um, <laughs> it was harsh, bro. But yeah, but, but that's what happened. So it was, it was, there's really no, um, no malintent behind it, man. It was, it was straight up me. Like, and on the podcast, I kind of was talking about it. Like it was very, very informal, very conversational. I was like, yeah, man, like, you know, this is just kind of like my take on that type of rule and that positioning. Um, and yeah, so there's at the meet, like, I don't even know why there was like, I guess we could call it beef or whatever, but um, I think there was at one point. So what Joey was referring to that he thought may have been misconstrued was um, after my August meet where I told at 830, uh, I guess some, some context, Joey had coached me for my first two meets. So for New Jersey States and for nationals, 2019, that's eight, that's about, it was about eight months of prep. Um, and then I, you know, I had, I had been injured and I wanted to take some time away. I think Joey at the time was, that was like almost when he was going through like that, that, that bursting through the bubble phase of his business. He had a lot of athletes and, um, yeah, so I took some time away and that's when eventually I met up with Alex and, you know, the rest is history. So I was working with Alex and we competed and, um, and then flex had hit me up right after that meet. And he reached out and he kind of was like asking me like, Hey, so like, what were you doing differently? You know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was with my coach when he had reached out. So I just, I mean, I naturally, I showed my coach and I, you know, I stand by that. So I showed my coach like, Hey, I just want you to know, flex hit me up. And he's asking about, you know, like all this other stuff. Um, and so I think that like, I promise I, there was no, I don't think either of us really felt like we felt like felt the type of way about it. Um, but somehow some, somewhere along the way, like Hayden Bow or somebody in hybrid got involved where they, they reached out to flex and like, that's how like the beef, I guess, kind of started. But like, I, I just didn't, I genuinely didn't have no fucking idea that this was going on. So, and I don't think Alex really did either. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't want to put words in his mouth. So yeah. So from my perspective, that's pretty much as much as I know about that incident. He had just hit me up. I showed my coach and it was literally him just being like, Hey, so like, what did you do? What did you do differently? You know, what was your training like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then at the meet. So I think, I don't know what was said when flex protested my third squat. I don't know. I think Alex was like, Oh, you're salty or something like that. Whatever. Cause the <laughs> protest got rejected. You're salty, huh? Or something like that. And then I just, I just happened to see them came and came up to me. He's like, yo, bro, like, um, Alex and, and Joey are, are kind of like, like going at it. You like, you want to go over. And I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just give me a minute. Let me. And, um, yeah. So like, I don't know exactly what, what happened, what started it, what started it up or whatever, but I, it looked like the real kind of like beef of it wasn't even with the squat. It was like with whatever shit had happened that, like, you know, like all the stuff behind the scenes, I guess. So, um, and they cleared it up. So like, it, it just, it was a really just a big mis misunderstanding, I think. And, and Flex and I had spoken, both myself, Flex and my coach had all spoken after the meet and stuff. Um, so that was all like cleared up and stuff like that. That said, like, I mean, I still stand by my opinion. And again, this is not my opinion of, of Joey Flex at all. Like just because a tree falls off, I mean, a, a branch falls off a tree and it's broken doesn't mean that the tree is broken, right? So I personally just think that, yeah, protesting another lifter's lift is a bitch move. Like it, that's just my take. And I've explained it before, but that's it, really not my opinion of Joey Flex. It's not. Um, and that's what was kind of blown out of proportion. So so yeah, so we're, we're totally good. I, that's why I posted that video on my Instagram. Um, 
you know, I wanted to make sure people knew, and especially as athletes, because I have a lot of, excuse me, a lot of friends that are flex athletes. And I don't want them to think that I'm talking shit about them talking shit about their coach. Cause it's not what I'm doing. If I really was doing that, I would be straight about it, you know, but it's not, that's not my intention. Um, I understand how it comes off and, and uh, I definitely didn't think that far ahead, but um, yeah, I mean, I still stand by what I said though. You know, my, I, I definitely still stand by my take on it, but at the same time, I don't want people to think that, you know, it was uh, my way of throwing shade at or disrespecting. Like I, I respect it, you know, like I totally respect the people that think that it is completely viable and it's, and it's good and it's, it's a rule. So you should use it totally fine. You know, there's no animosity there. It's just, it was just my take. Here's the thing. Like, um, yeah, like we don't all agree with the same rules. Like it, um, that's normal. And uh, like, well, first off, I didn't know the whole background story like that, actually. Um, with, like the reaching out, which uh, can be totally normal. It could be like just following up like, hey, what almost like a breakup. Like what happened there? Almost like an exit interview maybe is a better way of putting it. Almost like what happened? Are you guys doing like what's, catching up but then obviously it might feel weird for the new coaching staff might be like okay well i'm not sure how we feel about that what's your you don't know intentions so you reach out to find intentions um so yeah i didn't actually know that so that actually shows a little more context why people might be a little more quick to be agitated it makes more sense now like why would alex be so upset like people do even if you don't agree with like um disputing calls you might not be face-to-face, chest-to-chest talking about having a conversation, yeah, yeah. spit-flying. I don't know if that's the scene, but um, but it if, if there's any kind of a confrontation out back, it makes a little more sense that, well, there was, there was already some tension and maybe wasn't, maybe tension that could have been hashed out and spoken about, but it hadn't yet. So it had to come to a head to be addressed. Like there hadn't been the addressing of what was the intention behind this, you just not like, are you trying to get involved on where are you coming from? And sometimes you don't hash it out until you're chest to chest, a little heated, and then it boils over. Otherwise you never would have seen each other. You would have kept it to yourself because you have no reason to talk. And then so that it ends up being okay. But yeah, before it happens. Um, so it makes a little more sense now. Cause you tell yourself like, come on, man, if you, if you're at the world championships, if someone disputes a call, you cannot get in somebody's face in the warm. You get in some the wrong Dagestani's face in the warm up room, and you're they're gonna go full double leg Habib on you. And it'll be like, what the <laughs> shit is happening now? Like it's uh, I don't even know if Dagestan has a team actually, but um, but you get what I'm saying. Where like it, it isn't the way meets would run, but it makes more sense now. Where it's like no no no, there's more to it than that. Usually there is, right? When you hear a story, you're like. Like, is Alex just all like, like just getting in people's face if he disagrees? Uh, with yeah, he's, it makes he's, sense um, now. It's like, no, that's yeah. not right. He's also, you know, he's a meat director himself. Um, he's got a lot of athletes and, you know, for him too, like, he's one of those guys that like, he's so passionate. So he stands up for his athletes, period. And that's something I respect about him a lot. Um, and something that you don't always see, you know, so he's also not afraid of confront- uh, confrontation at all. So he will absolutely get in somebody's face 100%. Um, and again, well, you know, like, like being, I, being that afraid of a conversation and getting in someone's face is different. Like, true. you know what I'm saying? You need restraint. Like you, you can't, we're, we're adults, man. You, if you disagree with me, it's one thing, but if you confront me, cause I say something on the IPF podcast, like a podcast or the IPF's world championship stream, it's not appropriate, man. It's not admirable yeah. to be like, I'm a hothead and I'm gonna get in someone's face. I'm not afraid to confront you 
that's not cool neither. Yeah, no, I, I know. And, and, you know, I wish I knew the full um, context of what happened because I, I saw them out of the corner of my eye. They were, it, look, to be honest with you, like when you're sitting there, it doesn't really look like much. Like they're close, yeah. but they're, they're talking. You can just tell that voices are elevated, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I should blow it up. I don't want to blow this up. My description was, I, I wasn't even there if anyone was listening. Like, I don't want to blow this up. Right? You're, right. you're right. People are holding them back and saying, <laughs> right, yeah, I don't right. want to paint a bad picture here. Uh, that is not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it was, it was, and you know, look again, to be honest, I really don't know if like that was specifically because of the call, but I have a very strong feeling it was not because of the call. Like, I really do think it was because of like past history bullshit and, you know, and, and Alex is no longer associated with, with hybrid, you know, at all. So, mm. and for a lot of reasons, you know, that I think are, are, are professional and, and good reasons. Um, and so a lot of that, like BS beef and stuff like that was kind of stirred up because mm. of hybrid. And so we, we just squashed it, man. Like we just were flat out about it. Um, and Alex was completely transparent with me and with Joey that, you know, he did not, he didn't see the sincerity in, in Joey's text, you know, when he had sent me messages after that, that first meet, cause I hadn't heard from Joey, you know, in, in like a year. So it was kind of weird, you know, um, but I'm not, you know, who knows it, it absolutely could have been something that was, you know, meant well. Um, but yeah, so to, obviously to Alex, you know, wasn't, he didn't really take it like that. Um, and when he spoke to the hybrid team about it, I think that that's where that kind of spawned. Um, but yeah, no, and, and Alex recognized that too, you know, like when we talked about like, you know, he did apologize to Flex, you know, he did, he did kind of step up and he was like, hey man, like, look, you know, it, it wasn't professional. It wasn't right for me to, um, you know, to do that kind of thing. I just want you to know where I'm coming from kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and so yeah, they, yeah. They, we both, we all squashed it, you know? And, uh, and that's it, you know? So yeah, no, hundred percent though, I agree. Like, I think that there is a, a level, you know, like a standard you got to uphold. Um, and we're going to do the best we can to do that. You know, um, I, I definitely can be like, I, I don't know, like in, in those types of circumstances, I don't usually find myself like being super confrontational. Um, I'm usually a, a bit more like reserved. I'm like, all right, let me feel this out for a second and wait for what the fuck's happening. But I could totally see it. You know, like I, I do have Italian blood in my body. So like if somebody's going to just come up to me, you know, whatever, like I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll get heated. So, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I definitely do think like we learned a lot from this meat, man. We learned a lot. So. But dog, there's nothing like a little bit of drama controversy. So you're Italian as well? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. My mom's side, my mom's side. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, And then uh, what was I going to say too? Oh, yeah. So in terms of, I know, okay. So a lot of people are talking about it was the bitch made comment. And um, I know if you're talking to your boys, it would be like, come on, man, that's a bitch made move. What are you doing, dog? But you actually are talking to your buddy. You don't think he's a bitch, but you're, it's how you talk. Like it's a vernacular where it's like, dog, what are you doing? Like if I'm talking to Arian, I'll say shit, but Arian knows like, I don't actually mean word for word what I'm, I'm just, you know what I mean? It's, which is kind of weird. So I know some people might be like, how do you say something's bitch made if you did it, but you're not calling him a bitch. And it's like, I'm not actually meaning word for word what I'm saying though. That's not how people talk in general. And I think, you know, sometimes it's, it's a, that's what comes when it's a, if it's printed and there is no, no like um, dialogue with it or tone with it. So it, like, cause we all talk like that when you're just shooting from the hip talk and be like, that's how people talk, but you don't actually mean every single person who does this is a bitch. 
It's like, no, that's just how people talk. It's like, man, that's a bitch made move. What are you doing, dog? It's like, no, I don't actually think you're a bitch, but I think that was a bitch made move. Like it's, I know there's, there's a difference there that can be lost to some people. Um, and I had to think about it for a minute there when I read it, not like I was all fired up or whatever the shit, I mean, whatever, it's not a big deal, but, um, but yeah, people who were talking in the comments, like, was it appropriate to say, or how can you say something's bitch made, but yeah. he's not a bitch where it's like, but people routinely say things that doesn't mean word for word. Like if I said, you son of a bitch, I'm not actually calling your mom a bitch, but that's exactly what I'm saying, but it's not right. actually what I meant. I'm actually insulting you, not your mother. But originally, yeah. but that we say things like that all the time and it doesn't mean what they say. And uh, that, that's where I'm telling myself, like certain people come from certain areas where that's how they talk to their buddies and or whatever. That's how they shit talk. That's in their vocabulary and they actually don't mean it like that. Yeah, no, that's that you hit on the head. I mean, twofold, you know, like, first of all, yes, hundred percent. I mean, when I was talking to Angela, that's literally how it was. Um, you know, I, and that's, I didn't even, the quote that they used wasn't even the exact quote that I said. I said something almost extremely similar to what you just said, which was, you know, I think if you protest another lifters lift, it's a bitch made move. Like, that's what I think it is. And, um, and I, again, I still, I definitely do still think that, and it has nothing to do with the person though. You know what I mean? It's just, it's literally almost like a buddy check. Like, like you're, it, yeah, it's exactly yeah. what you said before, you know, but the other thing too, is like, people say like, Oh, I don't know if that's appropriate, blah, blah. Like dog, like this is, this is the beauty of my country. Like it is, this is a free world, my friend. And, and, <laughs> and I'm going to stand by what I said because, and it's out of respect. I think a lot of people miss that. Cause there, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how can you say this and say that you respect and love every, you know, your competition, but you're saying this shit. I'm like, I'll be honest with you. It's because I love and respect them that I'm holding to that, that holding them to this. It's because I think that they're, they're strong enough and tough enough to take it that I'm able to say this stuff. If I thought they were going to bend, fold and break, I wouldn't be able to say it, but I think they're strong and I respect their disagreement. I respect their opinion. Therefore I engage in the dialogue. Right? Do you talk about the next big move for King of the Lifts with a three-year-old? No, it's not because it's not because you don't love them, you don't respect them. It's just because you know they may not understand. So, who do you have that conversation with? People that you respect are on your level or higher, and that you and that you know will understand. That's exactly what I was trying to do. Um, you know, and and I'll be honest, you know, like I, a lot of the people that were talking a lot of this shit weren't talking it to me. So I heard about you know a lot of people being upset about it through the grapevine, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I don't apologize on behalf of what I said, but I, I definitely don't want people to think that I was trying to be disrespectful to them because that's, that's not the goal at all. My opinion was strictly on the rule. Um, and honestly, of course, I was salty about my, my protested squat, but, and I know nobody will believe me, but the reality of it is my opinion is not because of the protested squat. I found out that you could protest other lifters lifts because of the squat. Um, but it's just, it, it genuinely is. And it's something that too, like if Alex for whatever reason, did that at Worlds, we would have a conversation. Like, I'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm here to be the strongest. I'm not here to take lifts. Like if the judges, these are international level judges. If they say that this lift was good, it is what it is. If it's one of my lifts, fine. Like that's part of the game. Like you can do it. Um, mm -hmm. But again, in my opinion, like if it's another lifter's lift, I trust the judges, let them do their thing. I want this lifter to, honestly, there were some cases where I was thinking to myself, I was like, in some cases, I'd almost want a lifter to let's say, get a good squat, that was above depth, right? And people know it was above depth, but I still beat him, right? That makes me feel even fucking better. Cause it's like, yeah, motherfucker. Like, yeah, you didn't even squat to depth and I still want, you know what I mean? So it's just, dude, it's just competition, man. It's just trying to enjoy it. And and and, it, it, and there was a side of it where it was like a marketing thing, dude. I'm like, dude, why not? I want two white lights to grow. I know this will stir up, you know? And people who truly know me know that I really don't mean any malintent by it. I had reached out to Flex uh, prior to, or as soon as that thing was posted, 
Um, we, we kind of talked about it. And, you know, and he made, he brought something up that I thought was very important. He was like, you know, Gav, uh, you say you respect me and my athletes behind closed doors, but then in front of everybody, you don't make it seem that way. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's just not the fucking case. Okay. And I see your point. So I'm going to make sure that people understand that that's not the case. That's why I posted the video I did. Um, again, that's not me stepping down from my opinion. I still stand strong in my opinion, but I also stand strong in my respect and my love for my competitors, Joey Flex, what he's built, et cetera. You know, so. Yeah, it is tough. I know you mean we're like, you want you wanted a spicy quote. You gave a spicy quote on the flip side. You're like, I see where Joey might be like, that's cool, dog. But I'm like, come on, man, not at my expense. Though. Like, and you're like, ah, all right, fair enough. Uh, there's got to be some middle ground here. How is that podcast going? You look at, look, let me say something. You can, you can talk, man. And you're interesting to hear talk. You know, like you, you got a good voice for this. And it's, it, and you, uh, can give I like you can articulate what you mean to say you know and that's where that sound bite or not even a sound bite it was a straight up text message right so like it was very abbreviated um so you it was it's taken out of context you were unable to be able to articulate what you want and expand on it but dog you definitely are good at, at talking man this is if for a guy who said you were introverted you know this <laughs> is uh do you do you like doing so how did the podcast start up um, I've seen the videos coming and, um, and it's something you want to expand on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, first of all, the two white lights podcast was my first lifting podcast, my second podcast I've ever done overall and a uh, phenomenal experience. I mean, I, I really do mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am so fucking grateful for opportunities like this and for people like yourselves. Like I, I genuinely, I don't deserve this. You know, I didn't earn this. And this is something that to me, it's just, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity because it's not even like, it's not even about the audience. It's about like the, 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 the depth behind it. Right. So like, why, what, what value can I possibly bring? So when I'm on a podcast, that means that somebody somewhere, right. Even if they only have one brain cell, they think that I'm, I can provide some sort of value. Right. And so like, that's, that's what's so amazing and so special because I now have the opportunity to share that. And, um, the two, I like podcast went awesome. I really had a good time. Angelo was a phenomenal person. Like I just, I, we, we kicked it off. We, we really did. We had a great time. Um, and yeah, and I, and I think that their podcast is really blowing up as well. Like, I think that they're, they're making strides and I like how they have opinions. They're not afraid to, you know, to, to expand themselves in the sport and to, you know, catch some hate as a result. But, um, and I think that's part of growth, you know, but, um, yeah, so my videos and stuff, I haven't really started anything in particular. I just, I happen to have a mic. I happen to have a pretty good camera and I figured, you know, if I'm going to record something, I want it to be the best quality I, I can produce. So that's where that stuff's coming from. But again, I, I really can't reiterate this enough. I cannot thank you guys enough for, for even inviting me on because it's a huge, huge blessing and opportunity. So are you going to continue to do these though? Is it just a react because, it, or is it just because of what, like with two white lights and then um, you started releasing videos to, to firm things up and put your thoughts on it. But is this going to be a continued segments though or is it just no we're gonna leave it at that every now and then it'll pop on because i think you could continue this going <laughs> i mean i appreciate it i mean i don't know i mean i i definitely would if people found value in it and you know want to see more i mean i'd love to fit you know start thinking about some topics and stuff that i could t uh, talk on but monster syndrome like i don't i don't think i belong where i am you know like i i don't think i've i've earned where i am you know in, in the sense that like who the fuck am I, you know, to, to tell you and to try and be motivational and to tell you, like, if a friend of mine comes up to me, he's like, Gab, man, like, how the fuck do I do this? Like, I, I want a total 1800. I want a total 2k. What do I need to do? 
you know, like it's a different conversation than me telling the public like, Hey, you can do this. If you just do this, blah, blah. Like I, I have, so I'm launching my website soon. And one of the buttons is train like a champion. Right. And I'm like scared to publish it like that because in my head I'm thinking, but am I a champion? I'm not, I'm a state champion, but you know, whatever I lost. So can I even say, you know, so that's really how my mind works. And so if people really would get value from it, then for sure, I'd be more than happy to, to, to start like kind of like, you know, recording and unloading more stuff, but I don't know. I definitely would have to think about that. I don't know. You guys, you guys are a pretty big competition. I don't know if I can, uh, well, <laughs> but even if you're not going to do like, let's say like educational stuff or like, Hey, this is how you should train. You can still at least like document your journey to worlds. And, you know, then that'll be documenting your journey to possibly becoming that champion. So then you're kind of like, you know, setting it up and everything like that. And always, you know, doc- documenting, like, you know, the rematch against Keiko, whether it happens to Arnold or nationals or wherever, everything like that. Doug, yeah, people really love point. following your journey. And then when they buy in the payoff at the end, when they see you in Sweden, it's like, fuck yeah. And they want you to do well because they followed you through it with everything you were saying. Every, all the, when you hop on there, like I beat the shit and the whole night. And I also want to say, um, keep in mind, other podcasts are, are not competition. We are such a niche sport that we need each other. We get bigger with each other. Like I never see other podcasts and whatnot as competition. Um, I mean, we need each other, man. I do cross promotional podcasts all the time. I've had like so many people with podcasts on, come on this podcast and then I'll go on their podcast. And then we just, you know, whether it's like, um, Angelo Ellis McLean or freaking, um, you know, I mean, tons, I mean, I, like everybody's got a podcast these days, but, and people are like, can I shut up my podcast? I'm like, fuck yeah. I got to look out and people are, are trying to hit me up to go on their podcast, like return, um, onto it once again. And I'm like, dog, I'll, I'll 100%. It's, it's sometimes difficult only because time-wise you have to get your own content out. So you're like, you, you owe your own people content as well. Right. It gets tough, but, um, yeah. And in terms of the imposter, imposter syndrome, that's not a bad thing, but it also Joe Rogan talks about, he still gets it. Mm-hmm. It never goes away. It's fucked. And I don't know if it should go away or if it's healthy for it not to. But Joe Rogan's like, it, I mean, he's as big as it gets. So maybe it's even worse. Maybe he's like, how the fuck can one man actually deserve all this? How does one man deserve a hundred million and millions of followers, blah, 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 millions of followers downloads the whole nine. So maybe it just never goes away. Like there's no way Jeff Bezos looks in the mirror and tells himself, I deserve everything I got. Yeah. It's like, dog. As, as he flies up in his face. Yeah, it's like, dog, you don't deserve this, man. It's too much. What is happening right now? You're like a pharaoh <laughs> god or some bullshit. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. Part of it is, uh, it's also drive. I, I mean, I read tons of autobiographies and a lot of athletes talk about that imposter syndrome will never go. Like it's always, you're all constantly, there's something about constantly having to prove yourself that makes you hungry though. You know what I mean? Once yeah. you'd be like, nah, but I'm Gavin Aiden, man, I'm the yeah. world champion. I'm, you show up like that. You're probably kind of fucked. You know, like your training's not going to be the same. You're not as hungry. When you feel like you're an imposter and you're not living up to expectations is when you grind a little harder. Yeah, no, absolutely, dude. I completely agree. It's definitely something where like, there are a couple of tactics I have. I mean, there's some some innate I've had that keep me grounded or at least as grounded as I can get. Um, but there are some tactics that I have that remind me like, you are nobody, my friend. Like there, believe me, there's, there's always gonna be somebody stronger, better. And honestly, in the sport of powerlifting, there is like 
people come out of the woodwork like every fucking day, you yeah. know, somebody's fucking totally like, I would not be surprised if we have, you know, natural raw lifters lifting, you know, like a 2,500 total in, in 10 years, you know? So like, there's no reason why that's not going to happen. And, and, and it's just, it's crazy to see that. So yeah, hundred percent. And I'm okay with the imposter syndrome because you know, man, like I, I enjoy building relationships. I enjoy like, it's, it's, how do I inspire people if I can't relate to them or if they can't relate to me? And the only way to do that is to remember like where the fuck you came from, you know, mm -hmm. like it was not too long ago where I was, it was literally, but a dream to be, have even have an invite to compete on the world stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, I mean, when I tell you, dude, like, I remember this was no more than a year ago, lifting in my basement, you know, I, I was probably on hour six, I think my deadlifts were horrible. I was bleeding and like, I couldn't get anything to click. I felt like shit. And I remember going on King of the Lifts and just like getting inspired, like literally getting inspired by some of your posts and stuff. And I was like, fuck man, I got to do it. I got to do it. And I remember thinking to myself, like how amazing it would be just to get reposted. Right. And here I am having this awesome conversation with you two. And it's like, dude, since when, like, where, who the fuck am I? You know, so <laughs> Since it's, when? Literally, yeah. it's so easy to, to just, you know, for some people, they think it's easy to forget. It's for me, it's so easy to remember, man. It's so easy to like, look back and be like, fuck dude. Like it was not too long ago um, that I started way, way, way behind where I am right now. So yeah. So I definitely do think it's healthy to an extent, but I think anybody who does this for the right reasons will always have that, that syndrome, because if you're doing this to, to help other people succeed as well, to help inspire the next gen, you know, it's, you have to remember, it's no longer about you, man. You know, so you, that ego goes away. It's no, nobody gives a shit. Like, okay. Yeah. At the end of the day, like if I walk down the block and I tell somebody I squatted 400 pounds in the gym, they'll be like, Oh my God, that's crazy. You know, I tell my grandpa, he's like, wait, how much did you lift? You know what I mean? He has no idea what he, there's no. So it's really, this is, this is more about the people that are looking at you and looking up to you and want to grow and become better because of you. And when you think like that, you'll always feel like, yeah, but I'm no different than you. So who am I to tell you, you know, to be inspired right. and how to, so yeah, I definitely think it's a necessary piece of the puzzle. It's, it's interesting though, that, that Rogan thinks like that because he really is like the top of the top. Doug, he's the shit. Here's the problem. When everyone talks about you like that, you never see yourself other than how you've always been. Like Rogan grew up on food stamps. Um, he never knew his dad. He like, uh, you know, he was not that guy for like almost his entire adulthood all through his twenties to like, he didn't get big, big, like he, he had work, but he didn't blow up until he's in his forties, man. So when he's now in his fifties and he's like the biggest of the big, he's like the Ed Sullivan of our era. He's the Johnny Carson of our era. He's this big. When people talk about him, he's like, you never stop feeling like you. The same way you felt when you woke up this morning and the thoughts you have in your head and who you are is the way you are if you're as big as Rogan. So then when that happens to you, you're like, I can't live up to what you guys talk about me. Like, if you meet me, I'm going to let you down because you're going to expect me to fucking have some kind of, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't know what you expect, no, but I, it's, I, I don't got it for you. Like, yeah. I, I hope you don't meet me because I can only let you down. You think I'm too good and I'm not that. And, um, to an extent, it's a good thing, man. It's good to be humble and it also keeps you hungry. You know, yeah. you don't want to, fuck, man. Can you imagine meeting a guy who honestly buys into all of his hype, especially in powerlifting, where it's like, oh, love, what are you doing? Go to a grocery <laughs> yeah. store. No one's going to know who you are. What are you doing, yeah. doggy? Don't yeah. get big. Don't get too big on us here. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we got, we're, we're running out of a bit of a time. Erin, do you got a couple of questions? Because I got a couple ones that I ask at the end, but. No, go ahead. Ask them. Okay. Um. So first off, 
I know you're saying you wanted to be done lifting by the time you're 28. Is mm-hmm. that right? Around there. Yep. Now let's say when all is said and done, you're, you're, you're your grandfather's age. You're looking back. How do you want to be remembered? Mm, that's a phenomenal question. Um, first and foremost, I want to be remembered as the greatest of all time. And I want to be in the and This kind of ties into that. I want to be remembered as the person who had the biggest impact and inspired the most people. Um, I look at guys again, like Arnold and, you know, I don't, I don't know the fucking guy. I don't need to, because he has helped me get to where I am without ever meeting me. And he probably never will meet me. Right. And the only reason why that was, was because when I was 13 years old in the weight room, had no idea what I was doing. I'm looking at guys like him and I'm like, and he's a champion of the world. And he says, if you work hard, you can fucking do it. I think to myself, if I just work hard, I can fucking do it. And that's what then leads the next generation. Ashton Ruska, I don't know what he believes, but let's say he does believe that. I would imagine he'd have to, to get to where he is right now. Hmm. He now inspired me to do what I'm doing, right? Keiko inspired me to do what to inspire the next generation. That's how this process. and who had the biggest, most positive impact on people, inspiring them to become better every single day. And you want to be, so in terms of your timeline, you got to do a lot in five years to be the greatest of all time, young man. Yeah. You sure you might stick around. Why is it? Why do you want to be done by 28? So for powerlifting specifically, uh, you know, I love powerlifting, but I love training. I love fitness. I love being aesthetic. I love lifting. I love chasing the pump. Um, I love being strong, but I miss that stuff, man, you know? And so to me, it's kind of like there, there are other things in life than just powerlifting. And so by that time, I'm hoping several of my businesses will have evolved, will have scaled. Um, and they will be honestly, like I still, I chase the best of the best. So I, I really want to go to the Olympics for something. You know, I want, mm. I want to continue to find new physical challenges that are going to, that I can climb the ranks in. And, um, and so that's why I'm giving myself a time limit because it's like power things awesome. And I want to do, do the damage I can within that time period. Um, but then I need to move on and, and keep doing that almost like collecting stones of, you know, like, like the stones of Thanos. Right. So like, that's what I'm looking for. And so the greatest of all time doesn't necessarily have to mean, um, you know, powerlifting. I mean, Arnold, there are people who easily, easily rank up next to Arnold in terms of pure competition and bodybuilding, right? But when you add in the fact that he was governor, the fact mm-hmm. that at one point he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood, right? You add all these other pieces, it's like, holy shit, this guy's a full package, right? And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for just, my, my eyes see beyond powerlifting. And so, you know, it, it, I definitely think that it just, just knowing how much effort and sacrifice it's taken just to get to where I am now in powerlifting, it's going to take that and more in anything else I do. So there's no way I'll be able to do all of this with powerlifting and do that with, you know, something else. So, so that's really why I have the time lit on there. But um, yeah, man, I mean, that's, it's just that much more pressure to just keep driving, you know? You're 100% right that um, what makes Arnold, you know, the greatest, like, yes, there are people who actually won more titles, I believe, in terms of bodybuilding. But the fact that he went into movies, became number one box office, he went into, he was the governor. He has literally statues of himself all over the world. Um, as well as sports festivals, 
in his honor, like we were talking earlier about these guys who are like worship like gods, like that's some fucking god, like Egyptian pharaoh bullshit as well, man. Like that's huge. Um, not saying that's what Gavin's gonna have in like forty years. That's that's my goal is world <laughs> domination. But uh, but you're right in terms of um, if you do this in powerlifting, then go on to be an Olympic champion or Olympic hopeful medaling or whatever the shit. It becomes your story gets bigger, and then your yeah. background in powerlifting becomes infinitely more important. You know, everything you do, get you can't separate it. Yeah. You know, the man is the same person through all of these things. Like, um, I don't want to butcher her name, the 47 kilo lady who was an Olympic gold medalist and a world champion in powerlifting and won the world games. And she's won also inside equipment. So the equipped powerlifting and Olympic world, uh, Olympic lifting. So then all of a sudden her credentials get so big. It's no longer how many powerlifting titles does she have? Well, how many times do you have a world champion powerlifter and Olympian? Yeah. Well, that, well, what? That's <laughs> right? one of those deals where it's like, it's like you, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to pull off. So then it becomes infinitely more, it's far more difficult. So if you hang in the pocket and just powerlifting for like 10 years straight, cool. That's really good. But if Gavin wins, you know, a few years in a row, then goes into the Olympics and wins over there in a whole different other sport doing it, it becomes like, fuck man, how do you fuck with what Gavin did though? Yeah. You know, that's, 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 that's different. Though. You know, it's, it's, it, I feel like it's hard enough to become a world champion in anything and to become the best in anything. But I think, especially in today's time, you have so many people doing that. There's a new champion every year, dude. You know, yeah. you have to recognize that across, even across all the classes, there's still a new champion every year. So how do you, how do you best that? And to me, it's just find a new challenge, man, find a new ambition, a new goal. And that could be in acting. It could be in journalism. It could be in anything you want. Um, and that's the beauty of, of, the world that we live in, like the opportunity is endless. You just have to seize it. And that's my goal. You know, I don't want to be just the guy that happened to be strong in powerlifting. Cause you know, man, I think we barely, we, we touched on this a little bit. I hate when people say like, Oh yeah, but I couldn't do that. He's got insane genetics and I don't, right. I don't ever want to fucking hear that. Like these are all just, even if it's true, they're just fucking excuses. They don't help you. So to me, it's, it's like, pick a goal, pick the most ambitious goal, like ridiculously ambitious and then work your ass off towards it and have faith. You'd be amazed at how far you'll get. And that's what I want to prove. It doesn't mean much if I can only do it in powerlifting. People could say, oh, he's genetically gifted. Oh, he's stocky. Oh, he's this, whatever. Okay, fine. Then how the fuck did I replicate it in a sport or in a, an industry where I wasn't, you know, cut out for it, so to speak, you know? So mm. that's the goal. And I think that's why, in my opinion, a lot of people, um, a lot of people resonate with a lot of the top athletes because most of them, they had those like Tom Brady. I mean, typical example, you know, the dude was not a starter when he first started playing. Right. So like you're talking about somebody who had to go through the trenches, somebody who had to earn his spot. And now all of a sudden is one of the greatest, arguably the greatest of all time. Right. So mm -hmm. like, that's the story. And you can't build that without the dragon, without the challenges. Right. So that's what I'm looking for. Mm. Um, we got only like a couple minutes left. My man, we got to have you back though. At some point, I'm going to be in Sweden. Um, as a conversation, we could do it in person. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Let's do it. Because uh, Arian's going to be there as well. So fuck it. We'll all be in Sweden at the same time. And then uh, maybe we have a couple cocktails afterwards. Um, but before we let you go, my man, is there anybody that uh, you want to thank as well as uh, like sponsors, whatever as well? And if you want to pump anything like your, uh, for instance, your website and anything you're doing. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, 
I mean, first and foremost, I want to thank everybody who takes the time to listen to this because I'm nobody. And I truly, truly do appreciate people taking time out of their day, not just to listen, but to internalize. I've had people reach out to me and say that I provided some value in some sense, whether it be inspiration or knowledge or education. And that means the fucking world. That is literally why I do this. So thank you to everybody. Um, beyond that, SPD. SPD has treated me very well, and I'm very excited to be working with them uh, more and more. Um, my favorite pre-workout in the world, 110% Papa Sups. I got to shout them out. And uh, Team Uslar, baby. Team, U- Team Uslar training for the win, bro. We're growing. We're scaling. I'm very excited for Alex Uslar and the, and the community he's building. Um, so, yeah. My, my website does launch soon. It is going to be GavinAidenTraining.com, but I'll be putting stuff out there when, once that happens. But uh, beyond that, man, I just I genuinely do appreciate the opportunity, the time. Um, seriously, this is a, a blessing, truly, truly a blessing. And I cannot thank you guys enough for the opportunity to be on here. Dog, honors all ours, ours, man. You got to keep putting out some videos and keep talking, dude. Even yeah. if it's just like a, like at the end of the week, you just give us a wrap-up of what, what your thoughts Should, on the game are. I just did a six-hour training session. <laughs> yeah, six fucking hours, exactly. Wait, wait until the six hours is done and, yeah, regroup afterwards. But um, much appreciated, my friend. Good luck with everything. Uh, keep at it. We'll keep in touch, obviously, 100%. And I'll see you in Sweden, my man. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, guys. Thank you. Every year, talk oh, yeah. to you in like five minutes, Playboy. Yeah. <laughs> talk to, see you guys.